So again, we're looking at we're looking at some various passages in Exodus, and before we look at that, uh, I want to say uh, sort of introduce this a little bit. Um, several years ago, I was working at a church with a youth group, and we had a girl in our youth group uh, who I knew as Callie, and. At some point, I learned that that was actually not her uh, given name or her original name. Uh, she was actually born, uh, when she was born, her parents named her Norma after her mother. And at some point, very early on, when she was very young, I don't know how young, but pretty young, she decided that she didn't like that name. And so she wanted to change it. And she told her parents that she liked the name Callie. And so she wanted to be called Callie. And so with her parents' consent, uh, she actually legally changed her name. And, she, and then she went on, once she was able to drive, she got one of those bumper stickers, if you've ever seen them, it says, Why Be Normal, right? And she cut off the L in the question mark, and so it said, Why Be Norma, which was just brilliant, I thought, and part of the reason I wanted to tell that story. But you probably don't know too many people that, that really like a certain name, and like it so much that they basically get to tell the world, they get to decide how the world is going to call them, right? doesn't really typically happen that way. But we're about to read these handful of passages from Exodus that are all about God's name. And I think it's fair to say, so to speak, that God does get to choose his own name. And I think what you'll see in these few passages is that God's name is a big deal, It's a very big deal, and he loves his name. So much so that he's going to protect it. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But let's give our attention uh, to these handful of passages. Again, first we're in Exodus 3, 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And then skipping to Exodus thirty-three seventeen through 19. This is obviously later in Exodus when God reveals himself to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then a little later, in 34, 5 through 8, we read, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, with Moses, there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And then Exodus 20, 
verse 7, in the Ten Commandments, we read this. That God says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray before we continue to talk about it tonight. O oh Lord God, these are your words, and we have read what you have, what you have told us about your name. And that your name is not to be taken in vain. That God, we pray that you would be with us tonight. That you would help us to understand this. That you would open our, our hearts to understand, our minds to, uh, to think, our ears to hear. And Father, we ask this, that you would do this good work. And we ask, ask it expectantly in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this semester, uh, if you've been with us, you know that we're studying through the Ten Commandments. And we've said that all along we're going to see that the Ten Commandments are going to serve sort of in two ways. It's going to serve, in a sense, like a window through which we get to look. It's going to be a window that we get to look through to see the character of God, to see what God's really like. And at the same time, the law, or the Ten Commandments, are going to serve sort of like a mirror into which we get to look and see our reflection. Right? We're going to, as we study the Ten Commandments, we're going to get a better sense of what, what and who we really are and what we really look like. And so tonight, as we look at, the, uh, at, the, at this third commandment, which is that we're not, we're not to take the Lord's name in vain, I think what you're going to see is that we're that we are a people that tend to take God and take his name lightly. That's what we tend to do. And yet we're going to see a God, as we look through the window, so to speak, we're going to see a God that is incredibly gracious. And so gracious that he's not going to let us forget how gracious he is. And so I want to look at that in three, three ways tonight, three points. Uh, the first, I want you to see that Really see why God protects his name. We'll talk about God protecting his name. Secondly, I want to talk about how we vainly take his name. What does it look like for us to take his name in vain? Thirdly and finally, we'll see how we we can honor his name, what that would look like. So first, why why does God protect his name? All right, one of the things that you might notice about this commandment is that it's actually a little different than the first two um, in that God refers to himself in the third person all of a sudden, right? He doesn't say you shall not have any other gods before me in the first person. He says you shall not take, uh, so he doesn't say you shall not take my name in vain, but he says you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain for the Lord, right? He says it twice, And in most translations, and I don't know if it's even reflected that way in your bulletin, but most translations, uh, when it's it's this particular name of God, it'll be Lord, L-O-R-D, in all capitals. And what that's doing is it's reflecting a very particular name of God, right? And so we need to talk about that for just a second. What is it? Well, when you see that, L-O-R-D in all capitals, it's referring to to, uh, the Hebrew is Yahweh, Yahweh. So what does that mean? Well, in, the, in Exodus 3, right, the first, passage that, or, uh, yeah, the first passage that we read, when God is revealing himself to Moses in the whole burning bush 
deal, right? And Moses basically says, okay, so who should I tell you want me to represent you to Israel? What do I tell them your name is? And God says what? He says, I am who I am. And then later he says, tell them that I am is my name, essentially. Um, well, when he says, I am who I am, the Hebrew there is the, it's the Hebrew word, the verbs for to be, right? I am. And that word Yahweh, which we translate as Lord, is essentially the same root word. It comes from the same root, the to be verb in Hebrew, right? So they're very closely connected. So basically when Moses, Moses asks what his name is, God says, my name is I am. And all that that means, right? Like, I am what? I am, I am everything, right? God just, God just is. And again, he, he is what? He is, he is eternal. He's everlasting. He's all-powerful. He's almighty, Right? You, you can feel the enormity of it. Right? He just introduces himself as, I am. You feel how big it is. And yet, at the same time, this name of God, this particular name of God, is, it's essentially his intimate name that he gives to his people. You know, he makes special promises to his people, to the, to the Hebrews, Right? And this is the name that's connected with those promises that he's going to save them, that he loves them, and he's going to, he's going to bring them out of Egypt and save them. So everything about this special relationship that he has with them is brought to mind with that word, Yahweh, Lord, L-O-R-D in capitals. Right? So basically it's bringing to mind both of those facts, that God just is, and all that you know, our minds cannot catch up to that, the enormity of that, and at the same time, that he's this very intimate, personal God that loves his people. So I think we could say it like this, that his name is his reputation. Right? They're, they're equated. That his name, Yahweh, is who he is. It's the substance, the character of his being. And what the, what the third commandment, I think what's at the heart of the third commandment is essentially this, that God is trying to protect his own reputation by protecting his name. And this is probably not, the, I want to suggest to you that this is not a foreign concept, right? We do this sort of thing today. Um, Right, we have trademarks and copyrights uh, to protect things like that. Right, you've probably—I'm going to go out on a limb and say—you've probably never been to the store with, um, let's see, I, I can't even think of it. Uh, I wrote it down: sterile adhesive bandages on your list. And you've probably never written down soft facial tissues. Need to make sure I get some soft facial tissues. Right, but you have. What, what are sterile adhesive bandages? What do we call them? Band-aids. Right. And what do we call soft facial tissues? Kleenex. Very well done, right? But, if you're, especially if you're in the business school marketing major, uh, you know that one of the pinnacles of success in business is to have a product and have the brand name of that product be identified with the object ex- itself, right? The generic object, right? Which is exactly what we just demonstrated, right? The little sticky things that you put on a boo-boo 
those are not sterile adhesive strips. Those are Band-Aids. But Band-Aids is it's a particular brand name, right? Right. If you go and you get the, the store version, that's where it says sterile adhesive bandages. Um, and so if you have one of those products, and there are really just a few of them that you could probably think of, like Frisbee, uh, Xerox, maybe that's a little bit older one, uh, Kleenex, those sorts of things. Um, if you have one of those products, then you protect your name fiercely, right? You trademark that, you protect it fiercely. Why? Because you don't want anyone else using it. And why don't you want anyone else using it? Because if someone else uses it and puts your name on their product and it's inferior, then that's going to reflect poorly on you, right? You put it on some product that's lesser and it doesn't perform the same, it's not as good, then that's going to look bad on you. And so you protect it. And I want to suggest to you that that's exactly what God is doing in this commandment. He is protecting his name because it is so unique. It is so unique that he guards it fiercely. But what I want you to see before we move on, and this is where we're going to sort of start and it's really where we're going to end, that he's protecting his name and his reputation and he's not doing it because he's greedy. He's doing it because his reputation is so unique because it's one of grace. Right? You heard the description of his, he proclaims his name to Moses. Steadfast love, slow to anger, abounding in grace and mercy, right? He's, he's a God of promise, of love and compassion to people that don't deserve it. And so he protects it. So secondly, how do we vainly take his name? What, what does that look like? What does it look like to, what's the commandment getting at? All right, so what does it mean, first we need to say, what does it mean to take a name in vain? Well, again, I want to sort of play uh, Hebrew nerd scholar for just a minute. So it's the same word that you find if you're familiar with your Bible in Ecclesiastes when it talks about vanity of vanities, right? Um, something that's meaningless. The Hebrew word actually means, uh, you could translate it mist or vapor, right? It's something that just... It's hardly even there. It just disappears. Right? Like if you've ever thrown water on the grill, you know, and it just, it just disappears. Right? Something that's not really there. It just vanishes. So what it, to take a name in vain or it basically means to, to treat a name or to take it, treat it in such a way that it just doesn't matter. That it's empty. Right? That it's, it's sort of worthless. To treat a name with no regard for the content behind that name. And so this is why I think we're going to park here for just a minute as we explore what does it mean to break this commandment? Because I bet this is one that you probably tend to think, that we all tend to think of fairly superficially, right? Um, This might be one of the ones that it would be easy to look at and be like, okay, I mean, yeah, some of the other ones are tough, but like, I don't take his name in vain, right? So I want to dig in a little bit, and, and this might be, this might sting a little bit. It wasn't a whole lot of fun to really, in some ways, put this talk together. Because it makes you look, makes you look inward. All right, so I've got a handful of ways. It's not an exhaustive list, but ways that we can take God's name in vain. 
I want to go through the first few pretty quick. One, the one that you're probably thinking of, swearing, right? Using God's name as some sort of swear word, GD, right? Um, and is that taking his name in vain? Absolutely. But that just scratches the surface. That's the very most superficial layer of this commandment. So yes, when we say things like that. Secondly, uh, when we try to take advantage by using his name, right? Essentially, when we sort of name drop using God's name. Um, maybe when we say things like, uh, when you want to end a relationship and you say something like, really God has, has just told me to break up with you. Um, it's, it's just sort of convenient, right? Because who can argue with God? Um, or God has really told me to, to whatever, right? Uh, when we use God's name, sort of just kind of slap it on what we want to do to kind of try to validate things. Maybe uh, when you... When you're here, here at Baylor, if you take that name on yourself and call yourself a Christian, just because, frankly, at Baylor, it's just easier to be a Christian, probably. Right? Just kind of fly under the radar, catch, you know, don't get hassled. Um, a third way, and here's where it begins to get a little more uncomfortable. What about heartless worship? What about the ways, the times in which you take up God's name, or the name of Jesus on your lips uh, when you're praying or when you're singing a song at church or chapel or even here at RUF, and you're just kind of going through the motions, right? You're not, you're not really engaged, and you, you, know, you sing about Jesus, and it, isn't that taking his name up in a way that's empty, in a way that's uh, void of any real... A substance. And it really begs the question of when, when, is your, when is your heart really even fully engaged to do that? And frankly, I don't even really want to go down that trail with myself. All right, but these last two are the ones I want to focus on for just a minute. Because I think this is, in a lot of ways, the heart of the commandment. I think that when you profess to be a Christian... And then live in a way that's not in accord with his word. You're taking God's name in vain. Okay, I'm going to call this irreligious hypocrisy. And you'll see why in a minute. Um, And this, I think, is where things begin to get really painful. I I think our hypocrisy is at the heart of this commandment. Right? Um, And it's, you know, hypocrisy is something that especially people, those that are disenchanted with the church, um, you hear about it a lot, right? That's one of the sort of accusations that gets leveled at the church, and it's just filled with hypocrites. And in a lot of ways, that's, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, but So basically, if you claim to be a Christian, you're taking God's name, right? You're taking the name of Christ. You get it, right? Christ, Christ, Christian. You're taking that on yourself. And God calls us, as if you're a believer, he calls you to live in a certain way. He calls you to live according to his word. And so if you claim to be a Christian and yet live in a way that doesn't fit with that, then haven't you, haven't you taken his name in a way that really shows it to be worthless? Shows it to be meaningless or empty? And whether you admit it or not, or whether it's intentional or not, that communicates something to, those of, to the watching world. 
right? I bet every one of you has, you've probably had this experience that you hated from your junior high or maybe high school days where you were heading out the door and your parents told you something like, now look, remember that when you leave this house, you represent our family, right? You're a Rutherford, and when, you didn't hear that, I heard that. You're a Rutherford, and when you leave this house, what you do reflects on us, right? Whether you like it or not, and what are your parents trying to communicate? It's pretty obvious. If you go out there and you do something stupid, people are going to think we're stupid. If you go out there and you act kind and caring to other people, that's going to, people are going to tend to think that we're kind and caring. Whether you, again, whether intentional or not, that's just the way it is. And the same is true for everybody that claims to be a Christian. When you take up the name of Christ on yourself by saying, I I am a Christian, you represent Jesus. And when you go against his word, it reflects poorly on him and his reputation. So I'll start, let's, let's apply that. I'll start with myself, right? I'm a dad of three kids. And so as a father, I represent to my kids a little bit, something a little bit of God's fatherhood, right? Not all fathers do this, but especially Christian fathers. You represent, whether you like it or not, what God is like as father, for good or bad. And so as a, as a father, and one that proclaims to be a Christian, and is trying to teach my children that, that means that every time, every time that I raise my voice with them and yell at them, every time that, I don't, that I'm impatient with them, every time that I fuss at them too much, that I'm too hard on them, uh, every time that I, that I come down on them, uh, punish them unfairly, whatever, right? Every time that happens, I'm giving them a terrible representation of what God is really like as Father. Because I've taken up his name, but the fact that he's Lord doesn't seem to impact, evidently, in those times the way that I parent. So I've taken up his name, but it doesn't really doesn't matter. So what about you? Maybe it's when you, when you cheat in class. Maybe it's when you gossip about other people. Or when you look at pornography, or when you get drunk, or when you hook up with your boyfriend or girlfriend or somebody random, or whatever it is, right? Fill in the blank. Whatever it is for you, you've taken up the name of Christ, and yet you've communicated that it, it, it's not really worth that. It's not really worth much at all, the fact that he's Lord. All right, but the last way that I want to look at the way that we tend to break this commandment is what I want to call religious hypocrisy. Okay? That was sort of irreligious hypocrisy. Like, you know, you're Christians, but ways in which you just outright break the law. So what about religious hypocrisy? Because in some ways, if you think about it, the people, us, that we just talked about, the way in which we just talked about us, in one sense, that's being a hypocrite. Right? You're called to live a certain way, but you don't. But in another sense, it's not. Right? Because Christians don't claim to be sinless. In fact, Christians claim to be sinners that are saved by grace. So Christians don't claim to be perfect. 
So what is this one? Well, religious hypocrisy, uh, what I'm calling religious hypocrisy, is essentially proclaiming yourself to be a Christian and then living out of accord with his gospel. It's claiming to be a Christian, but then basically relying on your own religious activity to try to save you, to try to make you good. All right, listen to this passage in Matthew. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. All right, that, that's a scary passage. Do you hear what Jesus is saying there? Like, look at the kind of people that Jesus is saying will, will not be in the kingdom of heaven. Right? They've got right doctrine. Right? They know their theology. They call Jesus Lord. They've got religious um, passion, you could say. Right? The way the Bible emphasizes things is by repeating it. Lord, Lord. They, they seem to really care. And they seem to point, they seem to do good stuff, right? They say, we, we cast out demons, we prophesied in your name, right? They point to their good works. But in the end, Jesus says, no, you didn't know me. So what's the point? Evidently, they've taken his name in vain. And the point is that, that these are people that look good on the outside. They look good on the outside, they knew the right stuff. They cared enough. They seemed to care. But what they really trusted in was the good stuff they did. Right? What they really cared about, what they sort of went to Jesus with, was their, their goodness. And Jesus tells them, look, you've missed it entirely because you've missed me. They didn't know Jesus, and Jesus didn't know them. So what does that look like for us? Look, this, this is where it gets real hard. At a place like Baylor, this is probably where we are, okay? Right? This, this is a Christian school. So what, what might this look like? I'll sum it up like this. It looks like faking it. It very well might look like faking it, right? Where, by faking it, I mean where you put on the front that everything is okay. That... That you've got your life put together, right? That everything's always great with you. There are no problems. Um, you don't struggle with like the, the real sins, like the gross sins that those people struggle with. Now you talk about your struggles, right? Because uh, you, you, know, you recognize you're not perfect. You have struggles like, um, like you just don't, your quiet time's just not long enough like it should be. Your prayer life is struggling. Um, you know, yeah, something like that, right? But you would never let people in to see what's really going on, the real struggle. And so it might look like you do a flurry of religious activity so that people think, so that you can show people and maybe even God that, that you're, you're worth it, you're special. So you go to Bible study, you go to church, you do, you know, you, you've got a long list of do's and don'ts that you stick to pretty much. 
it might look like this. That when you're confronted, when you recognize you're confronted with your sin, with one of those sort of gross sins, and you kind of begin like, oh, wow, that really might be there. That the way you react to it is you sure don't tell anybody about it. But what you do, and you don't even really repent of it because you don't don't really want to tell God about it. But you look at yourself and you buckle down and you swear to yourself that you will not do that again. You resolve that that will not happen because it can't happen. And maybe you even punish yourself to make sure that it doesn't happen. But what you're really doing is taking Jesus' name and showing that the very thing that he came to do, which is to show grace to people, is really worthless. Because you've got to do it. So how do we honor his name? We spend a little bit of time talking about how we break that commandment. So how do we honor it? How do we honor his name? Look, first, what I want you to realize is that, is that you and I profane his name by our very existence. Right? That we just do it all the time. It's just in some sense who we are. Right? The, we're looking in the mirror of the law and it's just showing us bad stuff. And what I, want you to, what I want you to see is that's exactly where God wants you to be in some sense. Right? That if you find yourself right now thinking, I, I'm a huge fake. Please don't run from that thought. You have to embrace that thought, actually. In fact, the only way that you cannot be a huge fake is to admit that you are a fake. Is to be honest about it. Because then, and only then, are you in some position to begin to trust him. All right, so if that's true, then what? Well, you have, to, you have to, you get to believe in his name. So what does that mean? What does it mean to trust God? What well, it means to, to trust in his name? It means to trust that God is going to be true to his name, to his reputation. And what's his reputation? It's what we talked about earlier. That he is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And yet somehow at the same time, He doesn't clear the guilty. So how can both be true? And the only way that both can be true, that he can be so gracious, and yet at the same time be just, is in Jesus. Right, John 1, 12 through 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We get to trust and what Jesus has done for us. And what did Jesus do? He showed up and he took on the name. He came and he, uh, he took up God's name, right? In John 8, go home and read it. Uh, he has this fascinating interchange with the Pharisees where he basically is talking like, they begin to pick up on the fact that he's talking like he has hung out with Abraham who lived 2,000 years before. And they say, you're not even 50. And you've seen Abraham? And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You see what he's doing? The very next verse says that they picked up rocks to stone him because they heard what he was saying. That he is God. He takes up the I am name, right? And he comes, and 
What Jesus does, he comes and he takes up that name and he takes it up perfectly. He takes that name on himself and he lives up to it perfectly so that he can give that righteousness that he earns to you. And that's grace. And he takes up the Father's name. He refers to his Father. He refers to God as Father throughout his life and ministry. But then something happens when he's on the cross. And when he's on the cross, what does he say? He takes up a different name of God when he talks to God. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he doesn't feel the, the fatherness anymore. Because he's taking, the, he's taking the punishment that you and I deserve for taking up the name as if it's worthless all the time. That's justice. He's done it for us. That's the good news of the gospel that's offered to us, that he's earned our righteousness in our place. And he's taken our punishment. And when you believe that, and the more and more you believe that, you'll actually be able to honor his name. Because it's been honored in your place. I'm going to end with this illustration. A former student of mine years ago uh, at UofL, so obviously not here, uh, I call her Kat, um, she was a Christian, and she was in a sorority, and she had, she had made some bad decisions, and so she was kind of, in a sense, sort of you know, trying to get serious again about her faith. And so she said she really wanted to be a witness for God in her sorority. And look, totally different culture than Baylor, okay, right? Where, quote, unquote, everybody might be a Christian. Not so at UofL. So she wants to be a good witness. And, and so, that, so everybody in her sorority knows that she's a Christian. And then one night, she blows it big time, right? She just gets wasted. And she acts the fool, to say the least, she says a lot of hurtful things to people. She may or may not have made out with a couple of boyfriends of her, her friends. It got pretty bad, okay? And so afterwards, we're talking about this. And she's just a mess. She wants to, she wants to quit the sorority. She wants to just run and hide. And she's, you know, she's saying, I've just ruined my witness. I've just ruined it. I've said I'm a Christian. I've done this. And as we sat and talked about it, I tried to get her to see that, like, was that good? Uh, of course not, right? It's definitely not good. But that I tried to get her to see that if she really wanted to be a witness for God about what God's reputation really is, then if she could go to her sorority sisters and admit that she screwed up big time and apologize and ask their forgiveness and rest in the fact that Jesus had forgiven her for all of that awful stuff, that she would be, that doing that would be a witness to God's name and his reputation far more than any way in which she would, than, than being sort of the good Christian girl who never messes up would. Do you see the difference? Right? It reflects, once that gets down in your bones, that Jesus has forgiven you, then you can begin to honor his name in that way. God's name, his reputation, is one of amazing grace to sinners, and you're invited to take it. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came and took up that name 
And you took it up perfectly for us. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would believe that, that we would believe in your name, and as a result, that we might honor your name. And we ask it in your name. Amen.